So the, you know, third Sunday of Advent, pink candle, and the priest can wear pink. This priest doesn't like to wear pink. And I realize that's a lack in my, uh, uh, you know, a lack in my uh, person. But the reason you would wear it is to give you hope. So if we had a pink vestment, maybe I would wear it, even though I look like a big strawberry, to give you hope. So Gaudete Sunday is in Advent, Laudate Sunday is in Lent, and uh, the pink one, you know. And the reason for it is to take a little edge off the, the penitential nature of the season. To remember that, you know, it's not all about penance, that Christmas is to come and, and Easter is to come. And so we, we get this first reading from Isaiah about rejoicing, rejoicing. And it talks about how the desert, the wasteland, will bloom. Now, for the Israelites, the desert and the, and the wasteland was the regions that God had not yet touched. The places where God did not dwell, because you know God brings with him abundance and fertility and, and all of the rest. So the desert had no signs of God, as it were, which says something about Phoenix. Uh, <laughs> but but you know, as we know, in the Sonoran Desert, it's, it's a bit different, right? There's incredible flowers and blooming, etc. But, um, but this was their understanding. So when, when, when Jesus goes out into the desert, when John the Baptist goes out in the desert to confront Satan, that's because that's where God does not dwell. Because God has not touched those places yet. And so for Isaiah to be prophesying that those places will rejoice and bloom, it's really sort of a way of saying that the, when the Messiah comes, he will bring with him all of this abundance, all of this goodness, all of this you know, fertility, as it were. That, uh, and and as, a, as a way of seeing that blessedness, the blind will see and the lame will walk and the deaf will hear. Isaiah is prophesying in his historical context, but just like all prophets, he doesn't understand the full, you know, uh, extension of his prophecy, because it's the words of God. But, But later on, the Jews and the Christians clearly understood that Isaiah was prophesying about the coming Messiah. That he wasn't just predicting... Uh, rest and contentment for Israel during that time, but that the Messiah would come and bring with him all of this abundance. So, when John the Baptist is there in prison, and imagine this, right? John the Baptist has devoted his life to some pretty hard teaching. Sure, a lot of people came, but he wasn't really, I mean, he wasn't really the kind of guy you'd, you'd want to take out to dinner. He was a pretty rough guy. He's the kind of guy who probably always made you feel bad just because he's, you know, eating locusts and wearing crazy clothes, you know. I mean, he's just not, he's a frick, you know, a lot of friction with him in his personality. So there he is 
having been arrested and sort of rotting in prison. And he, he understands that his job is to prepare for the Messiah, but there he is in prison. He can no longer really do what God had called him to do. And no doubt there's, there's got to be a difficulty there spiritually for him. So he sends his disciples out. He's heard about this Jesus, right? Well, he knew, he knew Jesus. He grew up with Jesus. But now the one he grew up with and knew as his relative is doing all of these things. And so he sends his disciples out to ask, essentially, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that John the Baptist has been preparing the way for? And Jesus, in his typical way, can't just say yes, right? And that's kind of how God is, right? God just rarely just says yes or no. It's always qualified. It's always more. So instead, Jesus talks about how the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled in him. Isaiah, who prophesied that God's bounty would come into the wasteland and the desert, really all of human existence. And Jesus says, these very things prophesied are being fulfilled by me. The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the good news is preached. And so John the Baptist, who knew his scripture, understands that when the message comes back, understands that Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. But there's John the Baptist still in prison, waiting. And, and you know, the, the walls are no doubt pretty, pretty tight, and no, no doubt his, his existence maybe is not, does not seem to share in the bounty. Right? All this goodness that Isaiah prophesied and, and Jesus said is being fulfilled. There's John in prison. He's not getting anything. In fact, we know what happens to him. Right? It doesn't end well. A hard life all the way to the end. And so our second reading talks about as we're waiting for Jesus that we need to have patience and we need to have courage. That we ought not to give in to complaining about one another, you know, the pettiness, and which everybody kind of can fall into that. We basically replay junior high. <laughs> 80-year-olds replaying junior high, you know, no offense, 70-year-olds too. We'll pick on them. Um, you know, in 40-somethings. We all do it. But what the Lord desires is that we have patience and courage, fortitude, to await His coming. That just like John the Baptist, His coming was going to look different than the desert blooming and all of these healings. Right? We, we see those miracles and we think, well, how is Jesus doing that now? Right? How is He fixing my life now? Because there's so much in my life that's broken. So how is he active? And what we need to remember is that the, the ideas prophesied by, his, by Isaiah and even the miracles 
of Jesus were a means to an end. They weren't the end themselves. Because Jesus would always get perturbed when people asked for more miracles. His goal was not to come in and just work miracles. His goal was to make him, make us like himself. To redeem us and transform us. To make us into little Christs. And the way that he does that is through his grace. Those of you who grew up, how many of you grew up with the Baltimore Catechism? Raise your hand so I know. All right, so I should be able to ask you all those questions. I didn't grow up with it, so I don't know any. Um, I know a few, but, but I'm sure you remember back then the importance that was placed upon living a life of grace. Living in God's grace. Right? This is what the sacraments are all about. This is what the church is for. This is why Jesus did the whole thing. This is why priests exist in the first place. They offer sacrifice. Why? For the salvation of souls. What does that sacrifice give me? It gives me the Eucharist. It gives me Jesus Christ himself, his grace in my soul. All of these awesome priests who have, who have been here uh, you know, uh, for confession for a long time today. Why the confession? You know, well, because we, we feel different ways about that. Confessing to a priest and authority and on and on and on. I don't want to have to tell somebody something. No one does. What's it about? It's about grace. It's about when we've lost the grace and, and healing our relationship with Christ and allowing that grace to come back so that God dwells in us. And on and on and on. It's all about grace, which is God's favor, God's goodness, God's very life. And so the reason he's given us the church and the sacraments and all the, the whole system is to convey his grace so that, not, not just so that, you know, after we die, we can live in heaven. That's true. After we die, we hope to live with the Lord, whose saving death has redeemed us. True. But the Lord has already begun to transform us now through this grace, so that right now we're supposed to share in heavenly glory. Right now we, we can be transformed. Our lives can be transformed. And if we look at our lives and we say, why is my life not being transformed then? What's holding me back? Very often we'll, we'll point the finger, we'll complain about the other. Well, I'm being held back by my, my husband. Well, that's probably true. But I'm just teasing. You know, we'll, we'll point the I'm being held back by my husband. It's not true. My wife, not true. My priest, not true. My parents, not true. The truth is this. We hold ourselves back. If we do not allow ourselves to be transformed, we have no one to blame but ourselves. We are our own worst enemy, and we should know this. Enough life experience exists in this church today to, you know, to, to do amazing things and say amazing things and give great guidance. We know that that's true. We hold ourselves back. And so as we finish up here, we just have one more week, week and a few days of Advent. Let's reflect on what, what's holding us back. What am I... What am I holding on to that's holding me back from being transformed? 
resentment, anger, right? hard feelings, pettiness, jealousy, envy. What, it, it could be something different for everyone. And it likely is. But what's holding you back from Jesus transforming you? And throughout the rest of Advent, and in, indeed in, in the sacrifice of the Mass, if you know what that is, what's holding you back, Sacrifice it on this altar with me tonight. Lay it down before God and let him take it. If it's hurt, if it's abuse, if it's depression, whatever it is, give it to God on this altar. When I invite you to offer your sacrifice with mine, give it to God. Let him take it from you and allow yourself to be transformed. Please stand.